What's up, everybody? Welcome to the JKR Podcast. My name is Jay Strigling. I'm going to be your host. Let's get into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to the JKR Podcast. As you guys know, I'm the host and my name is Jace Rigling. Today is episode number 33. It is the second to last episode of season one. Today we've got Raza Malik coming on the show. He is the True Gravity Baseball Vice President of Partnerships and Recruiting, MLBPA Certified Agent. Today we ta- kind of talk a little bit about uh, Raza's career so far, how he got connected with True Gravity, just the recruiting process as an agent and an MLB agency, um, marketing plans for clients. So we talk a little bit about marketing decks, how to create events for your clients, stuff like that. Talk a little bit about the 40-40 motto that True Gravity Baseball is about. Also talk a little bit about what it's like as an agent uh, during the draft, during the draft process, um, also at the trade deadline. So I'm really looking forward to what this interview is like. I hope So let's dig in. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast. Today we've got MLBPA Certified Agent and True Gravity Baseball Vice President of Partnerships and Recruiting, Raza Malik, on the show. Raza, I'm super pumped to get you on the show. How are you doing today? Doing well, Jay. Thanks for having me. Heard a lot about this show and, and really honored to be on. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, so just to get started, I want to get into a little bit about why you became an agent. So, um, like, kind of when did you first have the idea of becoming an agent and, like, what made you decide that you wanted to be an MLBPA certified agent? Um, so, to be honest, like, when I, was, when I was growing up, I wanted to obviously work in sports and work in baseball in particular. Uh, but I actually wanted to work on the team side. I wanted to work on the scouting side or the player development side and, you know, kind of work my way up on the team side. Uh, but then, you know, after my freshman year of school, I – oh, sorry, my sophomore year of school, I started interning – um, you know, at True Gravity. And I kind of just saw firsthand, um, you know, how to interact with players. And it kind of just pushed me to, to rather be an advocate for a player than for a team. Um, obviously, the players are the talent. You know, they, they're the ones that put, you know, butts and seats and all that. And, and it just, it just kind of started, you know, ringing true to me. It's like, you know, why would I want to work for a team when I can just work for the people that, that you know, put the, the entertainment value on the field. And, you know, as I started getting into it more and more, I really, really started enjoying it and, you know, getting to know these guys on a personal level and, and how hard they work and, you know, help them achieve like all their dreams or whatever they're, or whatever they want to do. So it was, it was kind of, it kind of came out of nowhere in a way, but I've always obviously had the interest of working in the industry. I just didn't know it would be on the agent side. Yeah. So when did you first get connected with True Gravity Baseball? So it's funny. I, when I, after my freshman year of school, um, I started just, you know, reaching out and, and cold calling and cold emailing a lot of different people. Um, you know, Blake at True Gravity, you know, was, was one of the guys that got back to me. And he's like, you know, we, we do do internships. You know, why don't you come in for an interview? And uh, I think that was in the September right before I headed back to school. So I sat down with them and, and you know, the, the interview, to be honest, like, <laughs> didn't go all that great. Um, I just wasn't prepared enough. I, I, I actually dropped the ball in a big way. I just thought I could talk my way out of it, but I obviously couldn't. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a humbling experience in a way because I thought I knew more than I actually did. So, you know, after that, like, I talked uh, to Blake again later on, um, after the interview and I said, Hey, you know, like, I know I didn't put out my best foot forward there, uh, but I really want to do this. I really want to, 
you know, learn as much as I possibly can. Um, so he ended up giving me a shot because I think he was just shocked that I replied after how badly that interview went. Um, but, you know, I've been, I've, I've been there ever since I was a, a sophomore in school and now I'm uh, three years out of school. So I've, I've been, I've been around for about what, six or seven years and I'm, I'm still only 24. So it's been, it's been good. And I've, I've got to learn on the fly, you know, being in a, being like, working for a smaller company, uh, you got to do a lot of different things and a lot of things that you probably wouldn't get to do at a bigger company. Uh, so I got a lot of hands-on experience right off the bat. Yeah. And you know, as I grow and as I've kind of, you know, grown older and learned more and more, I've, you know, it's just been, it's been a great experience. Yeah. So what all did that first internship entail when you first started there? Uh, so it was a lot of research based and it was, um, it was more just, you know, like helping out on the draft side, whether it was, you know, evaluating organizations, evaluating depth charts, uh, uh, you know, seeing tendencies of where teams, you know, what they usually do in the draft side, what they do in the development side. Um, you know, on the, on the marketing side, it was a little bit less, uh, but it was, you know, some small equipment stuff here and there, but it was mostly predominantly research. Um, I obviously have an economics background, so I, I was okay on the research side. I, I kind of knew how to, how to navigate a little bit, but obviously the certain, the certain projects that you were given to, to do actually taught me a lot about how, how the game moves and kind of what has to happen. Uh, you know, and, and the thing was just to give our clients as much information as possible and just providing, you know, whether it's short-term research projects or long-term pre- uh, research projects, uh, just focusing on, you know, organizations and, and all that they do. Yeah. So was True Gravity your first job in sports? So after my freshman year, I worked for a, it was like a semi-professional uh, independent ball type, summer ball type, uh, type league. I worked for a team, it was actually out in Canada. I worked for a team uh, in just, you know, kind of doing day-to-day operations where it was honestly like, you know, setting up for games, taking stuff off games, you know, doing some uh, promotional days or giveaway days. And it was a good experience. Like they, like every intern that, that um, had a job that they had to pick a day and, uh, you know, cater their promotional event around it. Um, I can't remember what my day was right now. I think it might've been like a country day or something. So, you know, getting the, the local radio, local country radio in, and and all that like it was just a very hands-on job it was just you know selling 50 50 tickets you know helping out on the on getting the on the field ready and all that but it was it was still a good experience and you know the connections even making that um even the connections i made there were were important i still talk to a lot of those guys so that was kind of my first real taste on off, off sports uh but it was also very different than kind of what i'm doing now yeah like a lot of those hands-on um experiences actually help you out a lot more than kind of just being on your laptop all the time in my opinion amen exactly exactly and and you know, it, was, it was a good experience and I, I i do it all over again uh but uh it was just a different it was just a different environment a different vibe obviously it was, it was kind of like that it was like a collegiate summer league but a lot of former pros came down and it was it was it was good like it was decent baseball but it was more just you know kind of getting my first taste on the marketing side and the promotion side and and how to reach out to companies and how to talk to companies and uh you know just start building those relationships yeah, and you said that was based out in Canada. Yeah, it was based at just uh, twenty minutes outside of Toronto. Okay, and that's where true, the True Gravity office is, right, Toronto? Correct, Toronto, Canada. So it's okay. uh, it's always fun. A lot of the guys that we uh, you know recruit on the amateur side and the pro side, you know, they're all very, very excited to always come down here. And we've we've been fortunate enough to have a bunch of them down for for a weekend or a week, and you know, we'll we'll show them the city, show them the country, and it's 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 pretty fun stuff. Yeah. So was there any like non-sports related jobs that's kind of helped you so far in your job as an agent? Um, when I was in high school, my senior year of high school, I, I worked for a, um, 
like a payment processing company, payment solutions company, where it was more just data entry and and that kind of taught me on you know the Excel side of things and how to be you know more proficient in that. Um, that was obviously you know very different than, than sports in general, but it kind of still gave me some type of background on on you know the the Excel side and, and how to really you know get the most out of that. Yeah. So you've been at True Gravity Baseball now. You said seven years, right? Yeah. Since. Yeah, so I interned in 2016, I believe. So, or six years then, or five years. It can't okay. remember. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you're you're one of the only two MLBP uh, MLBPA certified guys there, right? Correct. Yeah. Like I are. Yeah. Okay. So how are you able to work yourself all the way up to the top at that age at, at that company? Uh, well, the thing was, you know, that, that like I said before, I was a smaller company, so I got a, I got experience a lot and learn a lot. So at that point, you know, uh, you know, being in that smaller company, you're given a lot of responsibility. And you kind of just have to, uh, you know, almost learn by doing in a way. And, you know, the more I learned, the more experience that I got, like, even though I was, I was pretty young uh, for it, I still had a lot of experience. I think a lot of guys didn't have when they were applying. Um, and, and for a lot of the jobs that I was doing, like once you become full time uh, at an agency and you're doing work for players, you do need a certification. And that's what kind of kickstarted it. Okay. So how many years ago did you get that certification? Uh, I got that in 2019, I believe 2019, the winter, I think. Okay. And can you yeah. take me through that process of you getting that MLB, um, yeah. yeah. So the process is, uh, you apply online, um, on the, I think it's the MLB registration, MLBPA registration, agent registration form. Uh, you know, you fill out a lot of personal information, uh, then they run a, a background check. Um, and then, you have an application that you got to fill out on, on, you know, how you're going to, you know, say charge players, what services you're going to provide, all that stuff. Then all that is vetted by, um, you know, uh, the PA. And then after that, once you're approved through all those steps, you go write an exam. Uh, the exam used to be held uh, um, in, uh, I think it was twice a year, uh, but it was a three hour exam. It was open book, uh, but, you know, it, it went through the collective bargaining agreement, the joint drug agreement, uh, just MLB rules in general. Um, as well as the agent regulations and you know the questions were kind of based on that and that that was that was a good experience too because you got to learn a lot about you, you a lot of the information you might already know to be honest uh but it was still it was still good to learn a lot of stuff on on certain aspects of of you know the the, the baseball side that i wasn't very very familiar with yeah and did you how often did you study for the exam leading up to it um it's a good question uh so what they do is obviously, you know, the, the CBA is a very large document. Uh, the age regulations is about 50 pages. The joint drug agreement is probably as long. So they, they do kind of give you uh, like a summary sheet of kind of which, which uh, you know, which pages to look at or what sections to look at in each one. Um, so I probably started studying about a couple of months before, but I just started doing it. I'm like, okay, I, I kind of know a lot of this stuff already. Um, so it, it, became, it made it easier, but you know, if you if you study enough and you you know enough already, plus they do a little bit of a review session right before, which helps a ton. Um, it should be it shouldn't be all that difficult. Uh, but uh, it's still you know it's still coming out out of school and then studying again was was different. But I think also being so so or, or so recent out of school also helped me because I still have that studying habits in there. Um, so that that kind of helped as well. Yeah. So would you consider the overall certification process a daunting task, or would you say? I wouldn't, say I wouldn't say it's a daunting task. I would say, you know, if you want to do it and, you know, you, you, you have enough knowledge or you want to learn more and, and you think you can handle a three hour exam, like it's, it's not a very daunting task. The, the material 
um, it's, it's, it's good to know. It's very, very good to know. And it, it does help kind of move forward, but it's, I wouldn't say it's a daunting task. Okay. And you don't need the certification to represent a guy in the draft, correct? Correct. You don't need to be a certified agent to advise a player, correct? Okay. So would, would you recommend an aspiring agent, like trying to recruit his first draft class to be certified, or would you say you should, they should probably wait a year or two afterwards? Um, I would say that an aspiring person should, should probably try to intern somewhere, um, you know, gain all that knowledge, learn as much as he possibly can. Um, hopefully, you know, if you if you stay with that company, great. But if you go somewhere else, you still have that, that background of knowledge uh, where you can, you know, move forward and actually help some players. You obviously don't want to start advising players if, you, if you're not very or you don't really know what you're doing in a way. Because, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. that's, that's a player's that's a person's life that, that you're kind of, you know, helping manage and helping work, uh, help, helping work on. So it ranges, to be honest. Like it, it depends on the person. It depends on the relationship. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of guys who started advising players and then became certified once they got close to the big leagues. Uh, because once you get certified or once you get accepted or you pass the exam and all that, you have three years to get a player on a 40-man roster. Otherwise, the certification kind of goes backwards. Um, so if you, can, if, you can, if you can manage that, then, you know, go right ahead. But if not, then, you know, I'd wait to see or find the, the right opportunity before you do that. Yeah, because I mean, I still have three years, but right now my goal is to I'll graduate here at in Indiana, twenty twenty four, and I'm hoping to yeah. get certified in twenty twenty four. Okay, yeah, hey, no, that's awesome. That's awesome. As, as, you know, just just learn as much as you can, read as much as you can. Um, I'm sure you know you've already seen the CBA and the agent regulations and all that. So just just knowing all that and knowing how to how to work for a player and, and all that would be would be important. Yeah. So at True Gravity Baseball specifically. With both of you guys being uh, certified, yeah. so do you guys do you guys both assist each client, or do you have your own clients on your own? No, we we assist. Uh, we both assist each client. Like we, we want it to be. They can call either of us. We're interchangeable. You know, whatever questions they have, you know, they can come to both of us. Uh, obviously, you know, certain times the relationships are stronger between you know Blake and a guy or me and a guy, but we still all work together and 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 try to figure something out. Okay, and are there certain services that you kind of personally focus on, or all? Um, uh, it's mostly all of them. Like I, like on the on the draft side, you know, it's the just the draft advisement and getting all that stuff prepared and ready is, is is something I do. On the marketing side, it's you know equipment stuff on the field, uh, those types of endorsements versus you know off the field stuff, whether it's clothing, supplements, uh, you know, just finding opportunities for these guys. That's something um, I've I've kind of pushed away from the research side a little bit. I haven't. Uh, we have we have kind of some guys who help out on that front. Uh, but it's mo- it's mostly everything to be honest. It's 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 that's the best part about it, and that's what I like so much. Is I get to do a whole bunch of different things every single day. Yeah. And um, how many other people do you have working in the office besides just you and Blake? Uh, so we have about six or seven, I believe, um, where we have uh, you know a social media side, uh, you know, two or three people on the research side, uh, an administrative side. Like it's it's kind of all hands on deck all the time, where everyone's doing a whole bunch of different stuff. But those tasks and the research side people are the ones who are mostly focusing on research where everyone else is kind of floating around. Yeah. And what is that, what does that social media team look like? So what do they focus on throughout the year? Um, so social media side is like what we're trying to do is obviously, you know, as a player, you know, gets drafted and starts to, uh, you know, progress in their career, you know, creating that, that brand is something that's important. Finding the right, you know, wording and post is important. But we also want guys to be absolutely organic. And be themselves. Like we never ever want to, you know, make someone put something out on on Instagram or Twitter that isn't them. 
And it's just those guys, like the social media side will just help on that front where they'll be able to, you know, help with the help them, you know, with their posts and, and all that type of stuff. But um, in general, it's more just, uh, you know, on the, on the graphic design side, on the, you know, just, just helping the player in general and kind of what they want to do and, and how, how we can help. Yeah. So you mentioned branding there. So how, once you sign a player or, or once a player, one of your guys' guys gets drafted or signs an undrafted free agent deal, mm-hmm. how soon do you focus on a little bit of marketing for that guy? Honestly, almost immediately. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot to, to the guys about what they want to do, you know, how involved they want to be in it. You know, they just want to focus on baseball for now. And then, you know, as they progress, we start talking more about it. So some guys, you know, want to get it going right away. So, um, you know, on the logo side, you know, we, we start you know, those conversations pretty immediate after the draft saying, okay, you know, what do you want your logo to look like? What do you want it to say? You know, what do you want the design to look like? And we'll start kind of plotting ideas. So, you know, through their first year in the, in the minors, we'll start sending them different types of, of mock logos that they like, don't like, and then they'll give their own twist to it. And we'll keep helping them with that. Um, and then on the marketing side, it depends on opportunities. Like, you know, on, on field stuff, that's immediate. Uh, you know, if a guy wants to sign with, say, New Balance, and, you know, that's all they use their entire life, then we start the conversation with New Balance immediately after they're drafted. And then New Balance will obviously do their due diligence. And, you know, whether the a contract is offered or not, you know, that, that all depends. But the on-field stuff is right away. Uh, the off-field stuff, early on, a lot of it is gifting and giveaways and those types of stuff. But as the player, you know, progresses and evolves, then he starts getting a following where we can start targeting certain markets that are going to help him, you know, help his brand grow, but also help him, you know, join some some companies that that he likes and that that he thinks he's a good fit for. Yeah. And when you're reaching out to some of these companies for a certain player, how do you reach out and What's kind of the, the format that you use? Uh, so it's interesting. Like for a lot of our guys, what we try to do is we, start, we try to build relationships with companies as soon as they're drafted, right? So, so a lot of these companies that, that you know, will you know, send, you know, send items and product or whatever, we'll try to integrate them in everything that the player does. So you know, as a player keeps moving forward, uh, the company kind of goes with them. And as he becomes a big leaguer, then the company can start reaping those rewards that, you know, we worked with this player since he was, you know, just drafted and now he's a big leaguer. And that relationship kind of carries weight because now the player and the company know each other well, they like each other, and that relationship can keep building. Um, so that's 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 one thing that's important. Uh, but a lot of times, you know, it depends on what the player wants. Like if the player wants something that, you know, we have a relationship with that company, then the conversations are, are pretty pretty simple. You know, you just talk to the person, say, hey, you know, this is this is a guy that we have. If they want a deck, we'll have a deck pre- uh, prepared for them. Um, and I'll just say, you know, like these are his. A lot of companies these days want social media stuff where, okay, what are their followers? What are the interactions? Um, you know, how many likes do they get and all that type of stuff. So they, they'll request a lot of that. But mostly it's just just talk with the player and say, okay, you know, this player is a top prospect here. He's drafted this high. You know, he loves your brand. He wants to be a part of your brand more than anything. You know, how can we work together right now to start like a beginning a beginning of partnership where we can keep evolving it as he moves forward. And, you know, it, it, it depends on, on if the company wants to do it, if they want to, you know, start with a player that early or they want to wait, but usually they they're open to, to beginning that conversation pretty early so that when he's a big leaguer, you know, they've been there the entire time. Yeah. And do those marketing decks for the players that you send out to companies, do they look a little bit different for each company or are they uh, kind of all the same? No, they're not, they're not cookie cutter. We, we, we just don't do anything cookie cutter. Everything's different. Um, you know, guys, brands are different. Um, you know, some guys, we, we, we monitor kind of the trends that are going on in fan bases, uh, you know, whether a player, 
uh, you know, if his hair is the main goal, if, if his hair is like the main part of his brand or if his personality is the main part of his brand, you know, we'll cater that to each company and we'll say, okay, you know, this is why this player fits with you guys. You know, this is, these are the reasons. This is why we think this is going to be a fruitful partnership for both sides. All that comes into play. Uh, but also sometimes it's just, it's just, you know, companies will also just want, okay, can you just give us his followers, his followings, his likes, dislikes, and then we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll evaluate. Yes. So it ranges from company to company. Okay. So do you send out that marketing deck right away or you send it after a little bit of conversation uh, done with the company? Yeah. After, after a little bit of conversation, you don't want to, you just don't want to send it right away. You want to kind of, you know, talk to the person at the other end of the phone and, and see what they're looking for. And then, you know, when you find out what they're looking for, then you can cater a deck that kind of aligns with their, with their values and their views and our players values, which are more important, which are, which are just as important. Yeah. So you, you were talking about logos earlier. So do all your guys' clients have a personal logo? Uh, it's so the process begins with most of our guys. So I wouldn't say every single guy has a logo right now. Um, you know, it depends on, on a lot of different things. You know, when you're, when you're lower, when you're in the lower levels of the minors right now, um, you know, that process just begins where it's like, okay, you know, we're, we're going to start the logo process. We're going to see what you like. We're going to try to, you know, polish this out. So when you get to high A or double A or triple A, it's done. And then we can start, you know, using it as an asset and, you know, displaying it and distributing it. Like with, uh, for example, one of our guys, Evan, he, uh, with his logo, we, we kind of got his completed, I think after his first year in the minors. And that took a lot of time. And, and Evan was, and Evan, he kind of knew what he wanted. He's not a very flashy guy. So he wants something simple. And then, you know, we started, you know, using that more like, you know, we made t-shirts last year that were, you know, a charity drive. Uh, we're doing the golf tournament this year. Um, that the logo is starting to become more and more prevalent. Um, so it's, it's, it, the process is different for every player and when that logo creation starts to begin. Uh, but we do try to at least right before or as they get closer to the big leagues to have each guy a logo. Yeah. And what are a few other ways that you've displayed personal logos for some of your guys' clients besides what you just mentioned? Uh, there's a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, there's guys who do a golf tournament, who sponsor a whole lot of golf tournament and, you know, have the logo out there. Like there's, it, there's countless ways to do it. And uh, it just depends on the player and what, how much he wants to you know, be involved in that or he just wants to kind of keep it quieter. Yeah. And there's, it's, apparel, there's merch. There's, there's so many different ways. Yeah. And going back to Evan White, are you kind of using that logo for that charity bowling event that's coming up pretty soon? Yeah. So, in the, in the, so we created a logo for him, obviously, and then we created a logo for uh, the, the, charity, the charity event as well. And the logo, the, the logo that we created for him is also in the charity logo. So it's just more and more awareness. And for him, like, you know, the, the charity event's going to be a, a big event and it's kind of his first uh, charity event. So it's going to be, it's going to be pretty exciting with that logo. will kind of be seen by a lot of people in his, in his hometown and, um, you know, in Ohio. Uh, so yeah, so that, that logo is a part of that. And, you know, there's countless different things that we've done with him. Like, like I talked about the shirt earlier. Um, I'm not sure if you saw it, but uh, it was just a shirt with his logo and it said, uh, and his gold glove. And then right underneath it, it said, he's a great kid because I was a part of his brand. And then what we also wanted to do was give 100% of the proceeds back to charity. So it's all a different, all different types of things you can do to elevate a brand and to also do good out there. Yeah. And uh, what town in Ohio is that in? So he's from uh, Columbus or Guyana, just, just outside of Columbus. And uh, so the bowling alley is about, you know, 50 minutes from there. So okay. it should be, it should be a fun event. So what would be the process of, you know, maybe I drive down there for the day and uh, check it out. Uh, so there, we're selling tickets right now. Um, I know we're almost sold out on the non-bowling tickets, and the bowling tickets are also going pretty quick. So um, you know, we the event the event obviously has a capacity and, and all that. 
but that's kind of where we're at right now. And it's, it's pretty exciting because, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of been working on this for now, you know, almost a year was when the idea kind of started. And now we're almost, we're almost there and it's pretty exciting. And Evan's wife has been fantastic through it all. And she, she really, really took, took the handle on this and did a great job. Yeah. So could you take me through that process of just planning the event way at the beginning, all the way up till now until um, the event comes by in December? Yeah. So we, when we were talking about it, we wanted to do something that they wanted to do something and uh, we're trying to figure out what to do. And, you know, in Ohio in the, in December, it's pretty cold, obviously. So bowling, you know, being indoors was something that, that was kind of fun and different. And, and Evan was kind of all over it and all, and all about it. And, you know, we started saying, okay, you know, when do we want to do it? Uh, you know, what venue do you want, do we want to use? So we started, you know, going through uh, different uh, bowling alleys, trying to find the best, uh, the best rate for how many people we wanted. Uh, we ended up finding one in uh, Hilliard, Ohio. And uh, from there, you know, once we had the event, lo- uh, the event space locked down, then we could start, you know, contacting sponsors and, and kind of seeing uh, what we can do on that front. Uh, Donato's Pizza is one of the main sponsors and they've kind of been with Evan since he was, you know, getting drafted and there were the pizza that his family had on draft night. So it was kind of a personal, personal story to that. And it was cool that they, they hopped on and, and are, are helping in a, in a big way. Uh, then a lot of his partners that he was kind of with uh, that, we, that I was telling you about earlier, as soon as he got drafted, like page clothing, you know, they've been huge supporters of him all the way through. And, you know, they, they were kind enough to jump in and, and help out, you know, there's a back company that's going to help him out as well. Like it's, it's just from that point on, it's just, you know, finding the right fits and the right sponsors that can actually help this event grow. Um, then it's, you know, partnering, then it's finding the, uh, sorry, before all that, it's about finding the right charity that he wants to give to. And for Evan, you know, hunger is something that was very important to him. And he wanted to, you know, help the Mid-Ohio Food Bank and the Reeb Avenue Center. And the Reeb Avenue, the Reeb Avenue Center is a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool concept there where they try to rehabilitate people to life back into society and, and they give all the tools you need to succeed. So that was something that was also very important to him. So once we had the charities we wanted to, or he wanted to contribute to, the venue, some sponsors, then the then the idea started, you know, focusing to okay, you know, how do we make this more fun? Celebrities' ideas came in. Um, you know, Evan being, uh, you know, a mariner, obviously, you know, he has a lot of his teammates who are, who, who will be there. Uh, you know, on the Ohio State football side, he had connections to those guys who are going to be there, and it just it just kind of became more fun in that way. Um, and then right now we're just, you know, the ticket sales are getting started on Saturday and we're almost sold out and it's, you know, two days later. So all of that, it was actually, it was, it was a lot of work. Um, his wife, Carrie was, was hugely involved in it. She did a, she did a really, really great job. And, you know, we, we helped as much as we could on our end as well. So it's, 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 it's exciting to see it shape up the way it is right now. Yeah. And if there's some listeners on here listening today, um, where could they find tickets for this event? Uh, if you go to Instagram and go to the um, EW Charity Bowling Classic, um, there should be a link in the bio there, as well as at uh, EvanWhiteCharityBowling.com, I believe is the website. Okay, okay. Um, I heard that you mentioned a pizza place. What was the pizza place called again? Uh, Donato's Pizza. Okay, and you said that they were the pizza sponsor of Draft Night for Evan? They weren't a sponsor. The family just uh, just loved their pizza, and they were just there that day. And they're family friends, and they go way back. So it was it was a, it's a it was really cool to have them be a part of this. Okay. And I know Evan was really excited about it. Okay, yeah, because I just I just want to transition a little bit to dra- the recruiting process and the draft process for you guys. Yeah. So how far in advance does True Gravity reach out to a certain recruiting class that they want to um, start recruiting? Um. So what we try to do is we try to you know find the guys that we like, uh, you know the guys that we've seen, and uh, we try to build a relationship with them early. 
And we don't want to be, you know, watching them tear up summer ball and then talking to them. We want to be part of their or build that relationship right from the beginning. So yeah, and be, a, be a part of that journey. Yeah, exactly. And kind of see, you know, so for some guys, it's it's kind of right before their sophomore year. Some guys is in the middle of their sophomore year, um, you know, before maybe they've, you know, blown up or popped off and gone crazy. But, you know, you can see the tools there, you can see the intangibles there and the makeup there. And that's really important to us, the makeup side of things. I think we've done a very good job in the last little bit is finding guys with strong character and strong makeup. So, you know, just building that relationship with these guys all through this, their sophomore year. We'll come and see them in their sophomore year. We'll have dinner with, you know, them and their families and, and you know, try to, try to you know, not sell them, but try to tell them, you know, how we can help and all that. And just build that relationship slowly. And then obviously, you know, as, as the draft gets closer, as the summer ball ends, you know, we're hoping for a decision from these guys. We just don't want to be, you know, kind of, the, the people who are who are chasing guys as soon as they're successful, we want to we want to show these guys that you know we're there through it all. So even if they struggle in the summer or they struggle in the spring, like we're still going to be around because we like the player, we like the, we like the tools, we like the makeup, and uh, you know obviously you know getting to know a person over that long period of time, I think pays dividends down the road as well. Yeah. So do you use so generally you make that first contact in person in summer ball? Uh no no we don't sorry no we don't so we'll talk to them way before summer ball. So okay. We'll talk to them okay. in their sophomore year. So like in the fall or in the spring is when we'll kind of first make contact. Uh, you know, sometimes it's through a teammate that we, you know, had advised or are currently advised. And, you know, they'll say, you should talk to this person. You know, he's, he's, he's a good person. He can play. And, you know, they'll make the introduction or it's sometimes it's like a cold text or a cold call. And that happens too. But we try to make it as professional as possible where it's not like we're, you know, finding ways to get in touch. Then we'll, 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 we'll talk to as many people as we can, do all the research we can before we talk to the player. Okay. And when, like, so let's say one of your guys' current clients or someone that you know knows a player that you're interested in, would, would you ever reach out to them and ask, hey, um, do you have this guy's contact info or would you never do that? Uh, for, for a current player? For, for, for a player that you're, for a player that you're going to be recruiting who's um, like a freshman, sophomore in college. So we already advised that we don't advise yet. No. So, okay. Sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe I misheard that question. So let's say there's a freshman in college that you're interested in. Right. You know somebody who knows him, but you don't know how to get in contact with that player. Would you ever yeah. reach out to that person that you know to get that guy's contact info, or would you try to find another way? No, absolutely. No, we, we will. Like, we will talk, we'll talk to as many people as we can about the player. Like, you know, the first thing we'll ask about him is, you know, what do you think of him? And it's not like kind of his contact numbers. Like, what do you think of him? You know, give us, give us your thoughts on, on, the, on, the t- on the tools, on the makeup, on the character. You let us know. And, you know, guys are always honest. They'll say, you know, he's a great kid. You know, I love him. He's awesome. You know, you guys should definitely talk to him. I'll go get you his number. Or a lot of guys are like, yo, you know, he's not really the guy uh, that you want. He doesn't kind of fit with you guys. And then, you know, we'll move off. Like, we trust a lot of the guys we talk to. And the guys that we currently advise and the guys that, that we know, they know how we operate and they know what we look for. Um, so a lot of times they'll know right away, he's like, not a guy for you or a guy for you. And then they'll help out as much as they can. Okay. Yeah, because one thing I'm kind of I'm, – I'm doing a little bit of extra stuff right now just trying to gain experience in the industry. Um, so I'm from Fort Wayne. There's these two stud freshmen coming here at IU. One plays football, one plays baseball. Mm-hmm. With NIL coming out, I want to create this kids' development camp with them too and help them out. And I want right. to take any money. I just want to do it for the experience and just do it to okay. get my name out there. Awesome. And um, I've reached out to the football player. I'm not close with the football player, but we know each other pretty well. And I'm having trouble reaching out to the baseball player. Well, I know some baseball players on the IU team. And I'm like 50-50 whether or not I want to reach out to them to try to get that guy's contact info. Okay. You, you know, it's up to you. It's, it's up to the relationship that you have with these guys and if you're comfortable with doing it. Um, 
you know, a lot of these guys are, are pretty good. They will you know, they'll respond or they're, you know, if they're the right, if they're the right person, you know, they're, they're just, they're, they're, and they're pretty excited about it. So I don't know. It's up to you. Like, obviously, don't want to give any advice on that side. But it's really the relationship that you have with these guys and how comfortable you are with doing that. Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I just wanted to see what your what your thoughts were on that. But just no, going, going back to the recruiting process, what is that yeah. first conversation generally like? Um, it's more just an introduction. It's more just saying, okay, this is what we do. This is what we look for. This is how we can help. And then getting to know what the player's like, you know, what his personality is like, you know, what he likes, what he doesn't like you know, what his thoughts are on the process, you know, what he knows about it. And it's more just in a, in a, inform, informational, you know, it's an intro. And then from there on, we'll set up like a, you know, face-to-face where we can actually, you know, talk to the player and, and try to see how we can help. Okay. And then how, once you do that initial contact, how often do you generally reach out to a player? Um, I, the, so it, it ranges. Like, you know, if, if you get the play, like if, if you get a player who's, who's, you know, chatty and wants to, you know, wants to talk all the time, you talk to him all the time. Like, to be honest, like it's, it's sometimes even daily uh, where, but if it's a guy where it's, you know, someone who, you know, likes to be left alone and all that, then it's, then it's more, you know, it's less frequent. Uh, but obviously, you know, every time they play, you'll send them a text or a call, you know, just to check in and all that. Okay. And when do you generally know, like it's time that maybe, Oh, we set up a meeting with this player and their parents. You know, whenever, whenever they're comfortable doing that, like whenever, whenever the player is ready to have the conversation, you know, they'll let us know. And then, you know, we'll either come down there or we'll run into them somewhere and we'll sit down and, you know, go through it and just talk and, and see how, if we're a fit and if we can help. And it's, it's a pretty, it, it kind of happens a lot of times organically. Uh, and it's, it's always just good to get face to face with someone and actually talk to them and kind of see what they want to do. Yeah. And are those meetings generally just like, just meetings, just no presentations at all? Or do you generally have like a little presentation that you give them? No, there's a little presentation for sure, you know, to show, you know, previous stuff that we've done, you know, how we can help and what, what makes us different. Okay. And then like what, like generally in the springtime, like when do you kind of have a good idea what your recruiting class is going to look like for that certain year? So we, we usually have a, you know, by design, we usually have a smaller recruiting, uh, smaller draft class. So we only advise about, you know, five to six players a year. Like we don't go ever more than that because we think at that point it's, you're not really, you know, you, if, you, if you have a hundred guys, so you're not giving each guy 100% of your time, you know? And yeah. We like to play small in that way. Uh, so to be honest, like before the first pitch of the collegiate season, we usually, you know, we're, we're usually ready, ready to go. Um, and then we kind of stick to stick to our board and we don't, we don't try to, you know, find guys last minute or do all that type of stuff unless the opportunity is completely perfect. Uh, we usually stick to the guys that we have. But by, by, by March at the latest, we're, we're all set. Okay. So that's kind of just like, like a verbal agreement, right? There's nothing that Correct. can be in paper or anything. Correct. Okay. So once the college season ends, um, what's the pre-draft process look like for you and your clients? Um, so the draft got pushed back this year, but you know, usually it's in June. So, you know, if a team goes to the super regionals or the college world series, it, it changes things. Uh, but if they don't, you know, then there's pre-draft workout opportunities um, where teams will reach out to the player and kind of set those up. Uh, we'll just counsel the player on, you know, which of those workouts are a good idea, you know, which of the workouts where the team has, you know, got significant interest and which could really help you and which of the teams that, uh, which are the places that maybe, you know, you shouldn't go just based on, uh, you know, the travel schedule, your throwing schedule, all that type of stuff. So we'll just help them kind of decide or help them in the process of deciding, you know, which workouts to attend, which not to attend. Um, you know, that the, the players obviously will know a lot of information by that point where they'll know which teams are, you know, mostly interested, which teams are less interested. We like to, we like to give the players as much information as possible. Yeah. So they know heading into draft day what to expect. Yeah. Uh, so what is like, what is the draft week 
generally look like for you? Are you with your players at the time of the draft? Are you visiting with them or are you kind of just in, on your own? Uh, it ranges. Usually we're, we're in our office together, uh, just working um, because, you know, it's a hectic day. There's a lot of stuff going on. And, and at that point, the player should be with his family and, and his friends and enjoy the moment there. Um, so all we do is, you know, we were, you know, wherever we are in our office and we're working and we're, you know, working the phones, you know, seeing kind of what the opportunities are out there. The player and the family already know, you know, which teams are in, what range they're going to be in. Most likely, obviously, you can't predict the draft. And anyone saying yeah. that you predict the draft or manipulate the draft is, is lying. Uh, but, you know, you get a good sense of where each team has, you know, the set player. So heading into the draft, these guys know where they stand, really, what range they're going to go in. And it's just periodic conversations with teams and the player himself. So, you know, just to keep them, you know, abreast of what's going on, keep the family involved in what's going on. And it's just, it's, it's a fun day. It's an exciting day. It's a nerve wracking day. It's an emotional day. So, you know, all those emotions that these guys are feeling, and we just try to alleviate as much as we possibly can. Yeah. So after you have a player drafted, what's the conversations with teams usually like? So how often, like how soon after the draft do, does a player usually sign? And what do those conversations generally look like? Um, so it depends on team by team. Like if you're, for example, if you're a Canadian player, sometimes you got to wait for your, uh, wait for your visa or your work visa to go play in the States. They'll be, uh, you know, they'll probably sign their contract at some point and then come back to Canada and then wait till their visa gets cleared and then they'll go. Um, but sometimes, you know, they're out, they're out there in three or four days. Uh, you know, we had most of our guys this year that got drafted were pretty much, you know, signed and at the affiliate within three or four days. Um, and the conversation of the teams there is just looking over the contract, looking over, you know, how much school money has been given uh, and just looking at just the regular stuff that, that goes into that conversation or in that contract. So those are the conversations with the teams that, you know, at the base level. Um, and then, you know, as they report to their affiliates, you know, as they start their career, then the conversation with the teams go on. It's like, okay, is he doing everything he needs to do to, you know, go on to the next level? Like, is his work ethic, you know, up to standards of what you guys are looking for? You know, what do you guys want to see out of him in the future? all those conversations with teams just give the player an idea of what he needs to do to keep moving up through a system. Okay. And if you have a player not drafted in the draft and the draft's over with, what does that process look like of signing an undrafted free agent deal? Um, so that process starts pretty much as soon as the draft ends where, you know, we'll have the list of teams that, that the player uh, that, that, that had interest in the player. Um, so, you know, we'll start a conversation with those guys right away and say, Hey, do you guys, are you guys looking to add, you know, a starter, you know, a lefty starter, a righty starter, you're looking for a reliever, or an outfielder. And, you know, teams will tell us yes or no. Sometimes they say, oh, no, we're full. You know, we're completely stocked up. Uh, it's probably not going to happen. Um, and then, you know, surgeons like, yeah, no, we're looking. You know, like, let's get this done. So it, it happens rather quickly. So that for the teams that, you know, aren't interested on a guy and that player is kind of doesn't have any options, then we start saying, okay, you know, does he have eligibility? Like, will he go back for a senior year? If he's a senior, then it's okay. Um, you know, let's go find an independent opportunity for you to just, just showcase a little bit and hopefully you'll be picked up by an affiliate very soon. Um, yeah. Those are constant conversations. Those, those are all player dependent. So a junior obviously has the ability to go back to school, you know, and that could be the best move for him. A senior with no options left, it's up to him. Does he want to keep playing or does he not want to keep playing? If he wants to keep playing, then we go as hard as we can to find him a job on the independent side or, or whatever he wants to do. Yeah. And is it, is it tougher to uh, contact independent ball teams or is it kind of, easier no it's just it's it's i wouldn't say it's tough or easier it's the same as contacting really anyone and say okay do you guys have room are you guys looking and then you know if the player fits what they're looking for they'll, they'll sign them if, if they're not if they're full or they don't need an outfielder or they don't need a pitcher then you know they'll be like sorry no we're full and we'll go on to the next team so it's all just an opportunity based and need based for a lot of these guys okay all right well i kind of want to transition a little bit back into true gravity baseball as a whole as a company um, I see that one thing you guys stand by is 40-40. Obviously, that's a huge thing in baseball, 40 home yeah. runs, 40 stolen bases. But what does it mean to you guys exactly? 
So um, the 40-40 side, obviously, in baseball is very rare, right? The 40 home runs and the 40 stolen bases is, is a very rare feat. And what we're looking for in our 40-40 side is, A, you know, the talent to play in the big leagues, to have that ability, and B, the character and the makeup and the personality to thrive as a person. Obviously, you know, minor league baseball is not a walk in the park. It's, it's tough. It's mentally tough. It's emotionally tough. You know, a lot of times you're going to be doubting whether you want to keep doing this. And the mentally tough and the guys with, you know, very high character and very high makeup will be the ones that kind of thrive and continue to thrive in that system. So we're looking for that perfect intersection. It's a unicorn almost of, of that person who's got all the talent in the world, but is also an incredible human, an incredible teammate, you know, has very high character, has a very high work ethic. It's looking for all those things merged into one. And then we try to look for those types of players. Okay. And the and is that- side is interesting is because we only represent 40 players at a time. We'll never go over that number, and that's including the draft. So we'll never ever go over that number. And that's we believe that you know staying small and and you know having that that personal connection with each guy is very very important. And I think that's the way you know these guys are treated their best and their you know their best interests are valued is because you know the person so well and you have that relationship and that you know personal connection where you know them really really well. Okay, and if you're if you're kind of close to that 40, 40 client threshold. Do you kind of go about recruiting a little differently? We do, yeah. So once we get close to that number, you know, the recruiting slows down quite, you know, quite a bit. Uh, we obviously don't don't want to keep adding guys that that are over that forty number. So we'll slow we'll slow down on the recruiting side, on the amateur side, or the pro side, where it's just you know, it's like okay, you know, now we're at our we're at our limit, and you know, we're not going to go further than this. Okay, so is that forty number kind of because you guys have two agents, like twenty clients uh, per no, agent on average? No. No, that was that was even before my time here. Okay, it was, okay. it was just something that, that, that Blake really believed in it when he kind of formulated the firm. Um, he really knew that this is the way best way to to you know work with players and to make sure their best interests are valued. Uh, because I, so, you know, there, for him, I think he, he the, the the reason he did it is he came from a from a larger company and he kind of saw the way they do things and he wanted to do things a little bit differently and he thought that's the best way to do it. Okay, so that's that's. 4040 has been their motto since the company started. Correct. Okay. All right. Well, I kind of want to get into the trade deadline just a few weeks ago. Obviously, it was a crazy deadline. You saw the Cubs give away part of their core four. Max Scherzer mm-hmm. go to the Dodgers. But you had one of your clients, Ryan Pepio, in a lot of trade talks. So what was that like on the agent side of things? Um, no, that was, that was pretty interesting. And, and Ryan was, you know, he obviously you know, knew what was going on and was aware of it. Uh, you know, we just tried to communicate as much as we could, you know, anything that we heard on our end or anything that he heard on his hand, you know, we just communicate with each other and talk about it and, and just try to alleviate all the stress. But obviously, you know, you know, he loves, he loves being a Dodger and, you know, but he was, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he knew, he knew there was, a, there was an option that he would be moved. Um, but, you know, it was just, it was just, it was kind of a crazy day. A lot of stuff was going on or, you know, I've seen your name on Twitter and, and all that type of stuff. And uh, it's, is not concerning, but it hits a little bit differently, right? It's like, oh my god, like this guy's going to happen. It's a lot of it's a lot of uneasiness. So um, we were actually with him and his uh, fiance about a few days before uh, the draft, uh, before the trade deadline, and you know we got to talk to them face to face about it, like all the options, and just kind of calm, and make make the situation as calm as possible. And Ryan's a pro, and he knew you know what was going to happen, and if it was going to happen, great. If it wasn't, great. And he just kind of knew how to how to you know handle himself through it all. Obviously, you know, he ended up not getting traded. Um, he's he's very happy being a Dodger, and it was it was just it was just more communication and kind of just staying in the loop and and answering any questions that he had and and just helping him out with anything that he needed. Okay, yeah. And what was like the thoughts going through your head? Did you kind of have an idea that he would stay a Dodger, or did you kind of think that um, he was actually going to get traded at some point? 
Um, to be honest, I didn't really think of it either way. Um, it was more just, uh, you know, putting out, just giving him, you know, both the options. Okay, if you get moved or if you don't get moved, you know, it doesn't, you're still going to be fine. Nothing's going to change. Um, you're going to be, you know, you're still going to be pitching. You're still going to be doing what you need to do. And you're going to be, you know, in the big leagues very soon either way. So it was more just, just focusing on keeping, you know, him, you know, not steadfast, but in, in a way, just knowing that, you know, either way is going to work out, you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, but it was more just providing information than, you know, speculating, to be honest. Yeah. And with Josiah Gray being traded, that kind of moved Ryan up a few spots on the, the Dodgers top prospect list. So is Ryan the number one pitcher in their system now? Um, that's a good question. I think he's either number one or number two, depending on uh, which uh, publication you look at. Okay. Uh, but, you know, he's, he had a great year and you know, he's only going to keep getting better. So we're pretty excited about him. I know he's excited and, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see him at uh, Dodger Stadium at some point this year. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm looking forward to, man. man. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> you, um, and you and me both. Would you say he's your closest guy to the majors and the minors right now? Uh, well, no, we have we have a couple guys at AAA. Uh, we have a kid, another another guy at AA who's also close. Uh, but uh, it's exciting for sure, though. It's exciting to to, to see because, you know, we've, had, we've been working with Ryan since he was uh, – pretty much heading into his junior year at Butler. So it's been a cool, cool little, you know, kind of storybook in a way of just going through the entire process. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the day that he, he gets his, you know, he gets up there and achieves that, that level or that dream of his. Yeah. And how did that relationship start with you guys? Uh, with him, uh, with him, it was interesting. Like I somehow stumbled upon watching a big East uh, conference game, not before the conference game, like the, the last two weekends before conference championship started. And I saw him pitch. I was like, wow, he can really pitch. And I wanted to get in touch with him. Obviously, you know, didn't really know anyone who knew him. Um, so I uh, talked, I spoke with his um, high school coach. And, you know, we talked at length. And I asked the coach, you know, what's he like? You know, makeup side. Obviously, I know he can pitch. But, you know, what's he like? And the coach obviously gave a glowing recommendation. And he put us in touch. And then Ryan and I talked. And we hit it off right off the bat. And, you know, we, we, we sat down with him about two weeks after our first phone call. We sat down with him and his family. And, you know, like it was, it was almost immediate. And, and I think, I, I hope Ryan feels the same way, but, but for me, it was okay. You know, me and him, we hit it off right off the bat very early. He went to the Cape, we stayed in touch. Um, you know, a lot, he's one of those guys that you talk that, that love to talk and I love to talk too. So me and him got along pretty well. Uh, and then, you know, going through the Cape process, you know, he pitched pretty well down there and then heading into the, into the fall, the next year, the spring, he really kind of blossomed into a, you know, into a legit star. And uh, it was just, it was cool to see, you know, him progress and, and I know he was, you know, he worked, he worked extremely hard to get where he is and, you know, all the credit goes to him, but it's, it was, hey, it was, it was a funny way we got in touch and it took a while for him to make a decision, but um, I knew like, you know, I knew I like for us, the way we hit it off, it was like, it was pretty apparent that, you know, we were going to end up working together. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad everything's worked out for you guys. I mean, like I said, before the podcast started, he's kind of the reason I got in contact with you. Yeah. yeah he's awesome. So, I mean, I'm just super excited for, I mean, his career. I'm excited for what true gravity does here in the future. Yeah. Before we end up uh, in the podcast, I have a few more questions for you. I want to get into the name, image, and likeness. So, like, I mean, everyone knows July 1st, college athletes can start making money off their name, image, and likeness. Right. Have you guys kind of dipped into the newly um, established market at all? Um, So we have, you know, we've we've done a lot of work on it. You know, we've kind of understood. It depends on, obviously, you know, each state and the rules and regulations that each state will follow. Um, You know, some some states give the school the responsibility on how they want to handle it uh, versus some states having full ownership. So, you know, in the process of, you know, 
you know, being registered in each state of a player that you advise, you know, depending on how much the player wants to get involved in this type of stuff. Um, and then find the right opportunities. Obviously, you don't want to do everything. You got to focus on the field. You got to focus, you know, you got your responsibility to your teammates, to your coaching staff, and to your and to school, to ed- the education side. So we, you know, we've had, we started work on it uh, for a lot of our guys. Uh, we haven't uh, struck a, you know, a contract yet. Uh, we're working on, a, you know, a bunch of different things, but it has to be the right opportunity, the right fit. And obviously it has to be in compliance with all these rules. Yeah. Like and the, the, the space is, you know, it's ever evolving and it's, it's going to explode at some point, although right off the bat, it did explode a little bit, but, you know, as bigger, bigger players start getting into it on the company side is going to keep growing. And, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty on what, you know, players can do, can't do, um, you know, on the Barstool athlete side, that was something that, that was interesting um, for us. You know, we, when we, when we kind of saw that happen, uh, we knew the Barstool side were connected to a sports book and, you know, majority of NIL laws and state laws say you cannot be involved with it, you know, any gambling side of things. So that was a question mark. And then seeing as many, how many athletes were a part of it was also like, okay, are they going to, you know, control this? Are they going to stop this? And like, as you're seeing now, more and more schools are coming out and saying, you can't be a Barstool athlete. You know, it violates the rules. So there's still a lot of gray area, but there's a lot of it's, it's very, very exciting. And, you know, for, the, for a lot of players, right opportunity, you know, could pay huge dividends. Baseball, a little bit different. You know, the bigger market schools like Vandy, yes. yeah. the Ole Misses, the uh, Mississippi States, you know, those players will obviously have a significant advantage. But also, on the other hand, you know, smaller schools, you know, where you have legit draft prospects, you know, they have a name for themselves in that in that state or or in that city where there will be local sponsors or local companies that will kind of want to be, you know, involved. It's just a national side, which which could be a little bit tougher on the baseball side as of right now. Yeah, like talking about smaller school guys, one guy that came to my mind from Indiana, well, from the state of Indiana, went to uh, Miami, Ohio, was Sam Bachman. I mean, drafted ninth overall. You would think if the NIL came out a year or two earlier, he could have made some money this past year as a legit draft first-round prospect. Right, absolutely. It's, it's all those types of players and those small, small schools, small markets that are going to be, you know, um, paid a lot of attention to by these companies. But, you know, it's obviously it is still – uh, there's a lot going on with the NIL stuff, and I know there's more and more stuff coming out. Uh, but it's it's exciting for the players; it really is. And and you know, finding the right opportunities can be very important as long as you're in complete compliance because you don't want to sacrifice anything for a partnership right now. Yeah, like you said, it's kind of tough right now because the NCAA rules are kind of interim, so we we're not really sure. Exactly, exactly. But I think that's all I have for you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Like I said, I've been wanting to get you on for a while, so I was about okay. to finally get you on. So I'm appreciate glad. It. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope the I listeners did. enjoy this as well. I did. I did. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, hopefully I'll talk to you soon. Just a big thank you to Raza Malik for coming on the show today. Really appreciate him coming on. I'm fi- I'm pumped to finally get him on the show. I've been wanting to get him on here for a while now. Um, just wasn't sure how I was going to get it to work, but we finally got it. Him and Blake are doing some great things at True Gravity Baseball. But with that being said, just make sure to tune in next week as we end off Season 1 with our last episode. We've got newly hired Prairie Heights boys basketball coach Delmer Bontrager on the show. We talk a little bit about his future there at Prairie Heights, talk about uh, what he's expecting this season. So hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, Just make sure to tune in, and let's end Season 1 off with a bang.